episode 37 season 3 of the Tottenham Hotspur family podcast um, it's a bonus episode it's middle of the week episode and I've got two special guests with me um, Cat Law from the Tottenham Hotspur supporters trust I should say co-chair of the Tottenham Hotspur absolutely Hotspur right co-chair or all chair really because clearly I'm the boss and, <laughs> and also with us also from the also, also co-chair of the Tottenham Hotspur supporters trust Martin Clark. Hi, thanks for having us on again. Put me in my place. <laughs> Good stuff. It, it's funny because um, a few weeks ago when I approached you and we were trying to find a date um, and both of you were very apologetic and said that um, this was the only date that you could do. Um, it's quite ironic, ironic because of the two years ago when I first interviewed you and last year it was exactly the same t- time frame, around about the 11th or 12th May. Or some kind of like ley line or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's also quite a good time given that we're coming towards the end of the season and it's the run up to the final game at White Hart Lane on Sunday which we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that um, as well as um, uh, we've got a few questions from, from, from listeners. Um, the first thing that I want to ask and I know that most people should know this by now but what does the trust do? Um, and and also a follow-up question from other listeners, John Phillips, who says, can you outline, outline the main aims of the Tom Walter Supporters Trust and explain how you feel these can be, achieve, be achieved? Okay, well, I'll do something that I'm not often well known for, which give you a short answer, first of all. And the short answer is that we're here to remind the people running a business that the business is a football club. So if you want to expand on that a little bit, because you're not going to get away with me just giving a short answer. Um, we try and uh, give a voice to uh, supporters that if you want to use the sort of modern management lingo, supporters are the, the only stakeholders that don't really have a say in the way that their clubs are run. Um, so what we do is that we try and pick up fan opinion, we try and reflect fan opinion uh, and put that forward and get the, the board that's running the football club to consider that. What that means sometimes, and a lot of the arguments we have, people say, well, how can you claim to speak for, for every fan? And no representative organisation can really speak for everybody. So what we have to do sometimes is, is you know, take the temperature, see if we, we know what's being said. Other times, uh, we have to take a lead on something because we think it's the right thing to do and it's in the interest of supporters. And if people don't agree with the lead that we've taken, then they can vote us out um, at elections. There's elections for the board every year. So that's pretty much how we work. Um, the ultimate aim, I think, for, for us and all the other trusts that are working across the country is to try and get proper supporter representation at board level. Uh, and that's something uh, which I think people will see has got quite a long way to go. Not on the running order, but but why do you go to that effort? Because obviously, you know, we're all Spurs fans, and we we we, we all um, that our support manifests itself in, in different ways. So I guess some some of it's to do with that. But surely at times it must be a bit of a ball ache, given we we talked a bit off air about um, um, when, I, when I met you um, about you know, for example, a lot of the. Know, discontent that comes comes from some of our fans who seem to equate the trust and the club as one thing. When clearly, I think I think again probably the short answer is because we're completely nuts. Um, <laughs> I, I think that you know you're either the sort of person who thinks that uh, you should try and do something and try and make things better and improve things, 
or you're not. Um, I think that you know people who step up at any organisation, it's not because we think we're better or we know more, it's just that we think it's probably worth making an effort um, to try and get fans' voices heard and, and, and consideration for fans. I would say personally that one of the reasons that I'm quite involved in this, and I mean I've always been involved as a, as a, as a trade union rep and an activist in various things as well, but why I think it's important for football fans, and I think a lot of people of my generation think the same thing, is because Hillsborough was something that really, really shaped uh, our view of, of football and how football fans are treated. And Hillsborough happened because crowds were treated as big blocks and not as individuals, not as something that was made up of, of individual human beings. So f for me, uh, you know, that's that's very much a driving force. So I think it's important that fans are considered as human beings, and I think it's important that a fan's view is taken on board. Um, a lot of flat comes with that, but we choose to stand up and, and do that, so fine. Uh, we'll also hit back if we think that the flat's unjustified as well. So. Okay. Um, in terms of things that you've achieved this season, um, is, there, is there something that you're most proud of, is there something tangible that you point to? Yeah, um, a lot of the stuff that we do at the Trust is ongoing though, it's ongoing work streams, it's policy, it's position, so it's difficult to pinpoint tangible wins as it were. Um, but I've had a think, I've had a think, and I've got a few, <laughs> so I'll give it a go. Um, we secured a 12.5% refund for everyone who was sat by the hole in the northeast corner at the start of last season. That was a bit of a result, so 800 people got 130 odd quid off their season tickets, which was nice. As a little payback for reduced facilities, for you know poorer concourse, no roof. So when it rains, you get soaked, that kind of thing. And we had to argue with the club about that. Hugely. Last time people say, oh, these things were going to happen anyway. They didn't want to do that. And we, well, Cat really got stuck in it. Yeah, exactly. Um, we also were part of the national movement that secured the £30 away price cap, uh, which came into play this year and runs for the duration of the current TV deal. So that runs out in 2019. Um, which has saved, I think it was about, was it 380 odd quid? Yeah. If you go to every away game. So that was a, that was a big, a big saving there. Um, we secured in the ballot, and I just want to be clear about the ballot, the ballot for members this year was not our idea. The club approached us, that was what they were going to implement. So it, that was completely their choice. And at that stage, we have to look to try and refine the system that they want to put in place. So we pushed back and got them to allocate the Category A games by loyalty points so that the members who'd been to the most games would have the best chance of seeing the biggest matches in the last season at White Hart Lane. And I personally think that was the fairest way of doing it. So securing Cat A games by loyalty points. Um, we managed to get a place on, this is very unsexy, on Haringey Council's Safety Advisory Group, so the SAG. Um, there's a big push by the FSF to get a supporter rep on every SAG in the country, but as it stands, we're the only ones, I think, to have done that, or one of the first anyway. One of the first. One of the first. Um, we managed to get them to reverse the pricing on the sales stand at Wembley. This is pretty current, actually. This is about a week and a half ago. And when they were discussing season ticket pricing for next season with us. Um, yeah, so we managed to manoeuvre them down an awful lot on the, the South Stand pricing there. Um, we're still pushing for a ticket exchange that's face value, um, ethical. Hoping they'll take it back in house to get rid of StubHub. So I can't say that we've got there yet, but um, fingers crossed. We'll be most disappointed if they decide to renew the deal with StubHub. Uh, we secured subsidised transport for back from every game where there wasn't a service train running, basically. So that's also good for us. The club didn't have to do that after the away supporters initiative was removed. 
um, they, they were under no obligation to do that. So we, we've pushed and we've managed to secure subsidised transport for all of those games. And I think the last thing is the cup pricing for the Champions League, for Ghent at Wembley, and for all of the cup competitions that we played at White Hart Lane last season. There's been an ongoing pressure for us to price cups accessibly and to make sure that families and the younger generation can get in there. And I think the pricing there we were really satisfied with. So that's kind of a, a little whistle-stop tool. I think the other thing to mention is something that, you know, by the nature of it, a lot of it's confidential, but there's quite a lot of casework. And again, that might sound as if we're sort of making it sound as if it's too important, but there are a lot of individual cases where people have got issues, whether it's with tickets or things that have happened that are weight games or stewarding or, you know, there's so much of that stuff. And there's a constant flow of that. And where we can, we try and represent people. We try and make sure they get a fair hearing from the club. If necessary, we'll go to the Football Supporters Federation or some of the national bodies and we can call on legal advice and various bits of expertise as well. So there's a lot of that work, which obviously people don't want made public and they, they don't want to discuss their individual personal business as well. But we spend quite a lot of time uh, dealing with that as well. And I think it's something that the club's recognising that they need to, to be better at. And I think that they are getting better at it as well. So that you know that, that there's been an improvement uh, in, in that relationship, I think. Agreed, yeah. Some of those things you mentioned, for example, the pricing at Wembley, what was it? I think it was five or a tenner for, for... It was five pounds in level one and five and a tenner in Club Wembley, wasn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. and that's, that's just a throwback to, to the old days. And, and it's, I mean, it's open conjecture, but would that have happened without the trust in place? I don't know. I don't know whether that would have... This is the ongoing argument, isn't it? Anything that the club do, they would have done anyway. You know, anything that we don't, we don't you know, succeed in, it's all our fault. So it's kind of an, a no-win situation for us. I think for Ghent, once Pochettino made the decision to play at Wembley, because remember they could have taken that back to White Hart Lane because it was a different competition and not in a group stage, he wanted to play there. So once they committed to play there, the main driving factor was bums on seats. So they wanted to fill it. So they priced it to fill it. So would it have happened without us? Maybe. Uh, who, who knows? I think there was an issue with the pricing for Ghent at Wembley, though, because it probably set unrealistic expectations as to how they were going to price their league season. I think people were expecting season tickets for a couple of hundred quid. Again, the bums on seats. But that's, right. a, that's a good marketing reason, you know, that, that the pricing of all the Champions League games, they would have got a lot of people on their database who have actually, you know, it's all very well saying we've got 80,000 people on the season ticket waiting list, but if you've got 80,000 people who have actually bought a ticket and been to a game, that's a little bit more of a quality lead, isn't it, as well? So There's a higher level yeah, of engagement, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they're, they're, yeah that's, that's the marketing, the marketing professional speaking there. Mm-hmm. But that's so, that, you know, there are good reasons for the club to do it, and sometimes there's a good reason for them that, that benefits the yeah. as well. What, what does happen reasonably often uh, we, we have a kind of quite good um, regular relationships with people like the head of support services and the head of ticketing and the head of security at the club as well and often you know ticketing is quite a contentious issue and, and Ian Murphy who's the head of ticketing has spoken at one of our members meetings uh, will sometimes say well I know you're not going to like this or I know what you're going to say and I think you know we take that as like well that's good because you know there's going to be some, some, yes. some kickback on this as well and you know you've got to justify it and you know it's going to be harder so the answer to that question is that maybe the club would have done that pricing at Wembley anyway, but they, you know, the fact that we are constantly pressurising them to price excessively can't not have an effect. No, they have to. It might make it more yeah. difficult to do something for them that they want to do anyway, but okay, we want to make things that don't benefit support as difficult as possible for the club. They had their fingers hugely burnt over that Borussia Dortmund pricing. Yeah. I, I don't think they were expecting the level of kickback that we gave them, and we did give them a kicking. 
and uh, and we have been told off the record that's been referenced in the boardroom a few times. Yeah. So there you go. But that was an interesting thing where we also had friends saying you're being unreasonable because I think those prices are okay. And our argument at the time wasn't that it wasn't the actual price for the game. It was a precedent that was set of them breaking out of the accessible pricing policy for cup games as well. So it was particularly yeah. pricing families out, to yeah, be honest, yeah. but yeah. Um, just a quick one. So, on, on terms of stuff on the pitch this season, um, if I could ask you both, starting with Cat, what's your favourite moment of the season? It could be a match, it could be a goal. Okay, so I, when the season's out, I'll have been to 35 out of the 38 games. I've missed three S's. So, I've missed Southampton, Sunderland, Swansea, the away ones. My favourite moment was probably the last six minutes at Swansea, listening on the radio in my kitchen going so mental that my upstairs neighbour came down because he thought I was being murdered seriously screaming that loud that was sensational um, the Tina over Chelsea awesome and the Man City win on my birthday that was really good as well I thought we played brilliantly then so any one of those awesome uh, I think the Man City game um, because it, it was such a good performance against a very good side and that was the first time this season we had a great season last year and I thought hey I think we've got something here, you know. We, we've got a pretty decent team and they're not going away as well. So that was, the football was wonderful, but what it meant, and all, you know, people talk about the Spursy thing, maybe for me that's what it started to change. I thought, we've got a proper team that compete here. I think my other favourite moment was um, 90,000 Spurs fans at Wembley, because when they first announced that, even a lot of our own fans are going, we're never going to get that many there. Uh, it might sound like a bit of a nothing to say, but that was, I just thought, at, you know, we often talk up our support, and of course we would do with fans, but... 90,000 people turned out yeah. to see our team play in, in a Champions League group stage game. That is pretty impressive. It felt, it certainly felt historic. It felt an historic moment. I remember in the run up to that, and I remember being there when they played the Champions League music, and that it felt really emotional. And then after that, after that, I just felt it was a bit of an anti climax. Felt so sorry for the club staff. Yeah. Because they'd worked their asses yeah. off yeah. to rebrand all of Wembley and make it feel like home, whatever you feel about you know, all the records they were saying, and they did, which match did they do the Coldplay phone light oh, thing? Gotcha. You know, there's an awful lot of fluff going on around the game, but they had worked really hard, and it was like, okay, you're absolutely right, complete anti-climax. Yeah, you're putting on the record, we had nothing to do with that. Nothing! Thing <laughs> we got a about that, was that exactly. <laughs> you, you, um, you dodged a bullet with, with Sunderland, so that's, that's what I'll say. I was, I, was there at, I was there at Swansea, and that, that's certainly one of my um, favourite games I bet. What, what a game that was. Yeah, it was a great night. Um, got some questions from listeners. John Steggles um, asks, how involved in the relocation of fans to the new stadium do the trust expect to be, want to be? Hugely is the short answer to that. Um, Tottenham have committed to consultation with us ahead of wider consultation with existing season ticket holders and those at the top of the bronze waiting list. Um there's no doubt it's going to be a complex procedure and it'll be driven by price as well as by preference. So we want to be right at the heart of that. I think that's, this is a prime reason why I got involved in the trust in the first place, to ensure that this transition goes as smoothly as possible. So the club are committed to talk to us and they will be talking to every other season ticket holder and those at the top of the waiting list as well. So um, some of these questions will merge into, into one. It's okay. Um, Ed Brad, how do you feel the new stadium is coming along? Was the trust consulted on where we would play for the season away? Uh, 
progress on the stadium. I mean, we're not we're not experts, and I know there's there's a there's a website with people who've kind of got architectural and building knowledge who are probably better people to ask and give you a better answer than me. I mean, it's 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 clearly on track because they've now signed the Wembley deal, and I think that was the you know could they have signed it earlier or not? You know, we'll never know the full story. But once you decide that you're going to go there and the buttons pressed and the old stadium is going to come down, then that's the point of, of, of no turning back. So obviously the stadium is progressing as they want it to. Um, you know, it's it's a bit sad when you go to White Hart Lane at the moment, isn't it? It's just that this new stadium is, is dwarfing our, our lovely home that we've had for a long time. But I mean, it certainly looks like it's coming on. It's very difficult as a layman to say, yeah, it looks like it's good. But actually, the club is obviously quite happy yeah. with where it's got to. Sorry, I um, I asked Daniel in our meeting last week when we met with the board what fans should look out for. So what were the key indicators that the build was still on schedule? Because obviously it is now or they wouldn't have signed the deal with Wembley. He said end of January, start of February, the roof should go on. So everyone watch out for the roof, yeah. basically. That's going to be our next big indicator. Sorry, Martin. He also said um, about the fact that there's a, a contingency option to play Wembley uh, mm. at Wembley for a second season, which sounds exactly like what it is, a contingency option, perfectly prudent, perfectly reasonable. Um, again, the amount of stuff I saw on social media after that, oh, it means we're, we're not on track and, and that sort of thing. Well... It, does highlight to me though, and I, Daniel, as you refer to him, <laughs> that he's just from the outside. I've never met him or anything like that. But he seems a very shrewd businessman. I know he, he I know he polarises opinion amongst fans, um, but he seems like he's got his head screwed on and he knows what he's doing. Um, you've both met him. Can you add anything to that? Or are you? I was quite publicly critical of, of, of a lot of what he'd done and what the board had done um, you know, sort of for years and I think a lot of mistakes have been made um, so you know, that's what's going back since, since Enoch first took over um, I think undoubtedly he's, he's a very hard-headed negotiator he's, he's not a mug, uh, he's very bright in person he's a lot warmer than you'd imagine actually um, he, he's, he's a bit more engaging uh, than you'd imagine we're obviously we're very different sorts of people. Uh, he's absolutely, you know, we come from very different backgrounds. He's absolutely focused on running the club, and I think whatever you, you know, there may be criticisms of, of particular things they've done, but there isn't any doubt that as a business, this club is run very well. You know, this is this is not going to be a Leeds United or a Portsmouth or something like that, and you know, the money's kind of going to just flow out and it's going to go down. So it's very well run. Of course, there's an argument because we're not there to see a balance sheet or a business, but that is whether we like it or not part of the game at the moment as well. So I think he's probably one of the better chairmen uh, in the, in the Premier League in terms of the stability of the club. Where that takes us is, is an interesting conversation and there's probably as many opinions as there are, are football fans. But, um, I mean, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a canny operator. But he's the, I think the surprise is, I thought he would be very, very hard-faced, uh, very cold, and he's actually a bit more engaging. And I, I think, and people might go, oh, well, that's it, you know, you sit in the boardroom, so there you go over the other side. But I would say I think he gets it about his club. I'm not sure if he did when he first took over, but I think he gets it. He gets Tom Hotspur. Does he have a sense of humour? Yeah. He does, actually. He does, actually, yeah, he does. Especially his gag over Levy restaurants. Mm. That makes me laugh. Every time you mention it, he will literally just pipe up, no relation, every single time. I, I, I will just clarify, we don't, we don't have him on speed dial. No, no, He's yeah. not, yeah, we yeah. meet him like oh, three Dan. times. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really not like that. Um, he's, his relationship with us is, is very professional, so he will be in the meetings, he'll give up his time to sit in the meetings with us. Um, what I like about it is, I think... The last time he had to go, he had, he had a call with the States, I think it was, I can't remember. But normally, I'll go in there and say, how long have we got? And he'll say, as long as you need. 
and that that's kind of nice and accommodating and we appreciate that but we're not busy mates or anything but on a yeah. on a business level yeah. when you're in a meeting with him he'll, he'll be fairly transparent as far as he can be he often says more than I think he's going to say I think he operates really well in small groups I don't think he's comfortable in you know rooms speaking in front of rooms of hundreds of people Um, but he has a personality that he lets out which is quite nice to see I think yeah I mean, I think, yeah, I think he was, if, if he absolutely had his own way, I think he would prefer not to talk to us because I think like most football I can't believe that's true, Martin. I think I'm sorry to break it to you. Um, I, I think they just want to get on with running a club and, and not have to be accountable. So and I think they had to be persuaded that it was a good idea to talk to us. And, you know, keeping... It's a very soft thing. Football fans in the end haven't got a huge amount of power other than deciding not to pay the money to go and see the game. And then you become not a football fan in, in a lot of fans' eyes as well. So... You know, we haven't really got a huge amount of power, and it sounds a bit soft to say it's about keeping the dialogue open, but it is. As long as we're having a conversation, we've got a chance of achieving something, and we have achieved some things, not as much as we like. Got to push your parameters, though, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. You really got to. Um, <laughs> Naming name rights around the stadium. Question from David Fitz. Have the trust got any say in, in, in that? No. No, and I mean, again, I asked last week where they were on that, and all the way through, they've been, that will come quite late on when the stadium's almost complete and potential investors can see the end product, as it were. Mm. Um, anything else to add on name rights? I mean, we did ask whether the NFL would have any impact yeah. on that, and they were like, no. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you know, most fans would prefer White Hot Lane to be in the name of the stadium, and I think they're aware of that. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. Um, I think they know that we're going to say, given the choice, we prefer it to be in there as well. I think the interesting thing will be um, we're still going to call it as famous what we want to call it mm-hmm. as a new stadium obviously if you're going to pay 50 million quid or whatever it is to sponsor a stadium you're going to want it to be called what you've paid for it to be called so there'll be a bit of an unofficial battle won't there but I think I said to, to somebody else a couple of days ago that if Spurs fans at the new stadium start singing we are Tottenham from the lane I'm not quite sure how they're going to enforce the singing we are Tottenham from the Nike Stadium or the Bloomberg Stadium or whatever it is as well so some of it's going to be up to us and we retain bits of our own heritage but in terms of you know, the, the business side of it, and that is the hardest thing to really get into as well, we've only just started looking in a little bit more depth. We published something a few weeks ago on the financial statement, and it's something we think that the fans should be more aware of. And a lot of what we do is about giving fans confidence to ask questions. So we should be asking about what does this part of the financial statement mean? You know, what's, what's the implication of this? Where's this money come from? Who's put this in? Who's making more profit? Uh, I think there are important things for, you know, is this, is this a good long-term decision? They're important things for fans to, to have some input into, but that is the hardest thing to get into because in the end, they'll say, we're a private business, we own the shares, who are you lot? Uh, that is, you know, we'll, we can talk pretty much about anything else. Once we start getting into the business and the financial side, they will put the shuts up as well. Uh, and that's going to be a long job trying to get in and have a part of that conversation. And I think anybody who understands how business works will realise that as well. It's an uphill struggle. Okay, we had a question from Richard Healy around contingency plans that we sort of... Mm covered that um, in terms of what, what um, Levy said um, he also refers to um, what Liverpool did this season with playing there so uh, when we assuming we move in um, 28 20 August 2018 whether that will whether there'll be games played home games pushed back but I think that that, that, was, that came up in, in, in the recent meeting it did and it, it's in the minutes if anybody wants to go and have a look at those so you're absolutely right the ultimate contingency plan would be another season at Wembley but there is no appetite from the board to activate that second season the whole reason we're delaying the announcement 
to you know for when we're going to move this year was because they are adamant they want to get this done in, in, in one season. So we will be back in August 2018. So I will caveat and say, nobody there is thinking we're going to be there for a, a full second season. But there are issues. Because we'll obviously need test events and a safety licence as well. So that's all got to be built in. And it's a really tight-built programme. The next season, so that is 2018-19, should, I haven't got the dates from the Premier League, but it should start theoretically later because we've got a World Cup so you would think that would buy us at least an extra week before it starts. There's then always an international break in September, early September. We can, well the club, can lodge an appeal to have their first two games played away from home. There's a rule in the Premier League, you're not supposed to play more than two consecutive away or two consecutive home. If we could flip those and play those away, hit the international break, that could push us into mid-September before having to play a game at the new lane. That might work. If we still need more time, it would then be up to Tottenham to try and negotiate contra deals with whoever they've been drawn against. So that's what he's referring to when he talks about Liverpool. So say we've been drawn to play Burnley at home. We can speak to Burnley and ask if they'd mind if we went to their place um, and try and work it out like that. But that is dependent on the other club agreeing. And Tottenham aren't always the most popular club. So that's a a slight issue there. The, The Premier League rule is that you can't switch home venues in the middle of a season there's this whole you know comparativeness and unfair advantage and you know maintaining the integrity of the competition etc UEFA are the other fly in the ointment here because I am loving the optimism from the board of Tottenham that they think after playing a season at Wembley we're going to be in a European qualifying position (laughs) it's hilarious Uh, but say we are uh, UEFA will insist that whatever we play our first group stage game wherever we play that the rest of the group has to be played at that venue and that may well start earlier than when we'd be needed in the Premier League if we could manage to flip a few matches. So that's basically contingency A, B, C, D, E, and F. There you go. It's the plan anyway. We've got, we've of course got, it we've is. Got, yeah. Well, I mean, they don't have, they, the deal that they've done with Wembley is not particularly great for the club as well. So that's the other reason they're not going to go there. Just for me, you were talking about the business and the hard-headedness. They don't want to pay. I mean, we're, you know, we haven't had anything confirmed, but we're in excess of 15 million quid. To rent the stadium. And bearing in mind, West Ham pay 2.5. Yeah, Let's yeah, yeah. And, and Wembley get all the catering, they get all the beer money, they get all the box. They, they get come. half a club Wembley. Yeah, half a club Wembley. So, I mean, it's not it's not a great deal, but the negotiation would have been, this is the only ground, and if I was Wembley, I would have said, here's a number on a cheque, you put your signature there, that's a negotiation. And that's and not I think that's pretty much what happened. Wembley never wanted a club side in there. No. So this, they've pulled it out of the bag to yeah. even get this far, to yeah. be honest. So, you know, they will do everything they can to make sure they're not at Wembley for longer than one season because they, they, they are hurting. On, on Wembley, so we've had, what, four, four home games, one neutral game this season. Um, let's say the neutral game, but, but in terms of four matches, European matches that we played, what, what lessons do you think we can draw from that experience to help improve the fan experience? going into next season? And can, can the Trust highlight any lessons and things... Um, that they've been talking to the club about in that respect. I think um, I think that it's going to take a lot of getting used to. People's match day routines are going to be different. The numbers are different. The transport, the pubs, you know, the, the, everything uh, is going to be very, very different. Uh, and so there's going to need to be a lot of information, a lot of good communication that goes out, and we'll try and play a part in that. I think inside the ground, um, I think the club uh, are doing the right thing by trying to move people in the blocks that they currently sit in the White Hart Lane so that people are going to be, have the choice to be close to the people that they currently sit with and will have the opportunity to keep the people in the south stand lower together and the people that are in the, you know, the, the, the cage and that, that sort of um, 
southeast corner and mm-hmm. the ground will be close to them as well. And the club are going with what they did at Wembley, which is these atmosphere blocks as well, which part of me kind of thinks that's a little bit kind of stilted and plastic. But I think it's a good thing to say, if you want to be a little bit more noisy and active, then you can go into this section of the ground. And if that's not particularly your thing, there's another section. I think one of the lessons that we, we've talked about a few times that we picked up is that from the Champions League games is that the club said these are the atmosphere blocks mm-hmm. and they had flags and you know laid on a load of stuff and we saw people going into those atmosphere blocks and putting their flags under their seat and sitting there and going well okay I paid for my atmosphere where's my atmosphere and it's, it's us the fans create the atmosphere as well and I think that that there is a lot of worry and trepidation and criticism about Wembley and what kind of experience is in there, what the crowd's going to be like. But in the end, it is down to us to do that job as well, that you can have as many atmosphere blocks and initiatives as you want. Fans have got to get stuck in. And I think that will be one of the big challenges because I think a lot of fans will go in there and they'll wait for something to happen. And we need to make that happen as well. But that, that was something that I hadn't really sort of bargained for. And it was amazing, you know, sitting there and watching the crowd come in stowing those flags under their seats and just waiting for the atmosphere to be delivered to them. It doesn't work like that. It never worked like that at Whiteheart Lane, mm. did it? Yeah, I, I, just on that, I mean, I, I don't know that the flags are necessarily the, the way to gen, generate that atmosphere. I mean, sure, sure. Yeah. surely you want to take... I'm a bit biased here because well, this is my favourite part of the stadium other than this season where I've been all over the place because of the ballot. Yeah. But, but surely you want to take the park lane lower and just... And all the people with it, and just yeah. put that. Yeah, yeah. and, and, they are, and they are doing that. They 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 know that they need to try and keep those blocks together as well. But also, you know, people want to have the choice as well. So they'll they'll say that's the first offer here. The part lane layer will be moved as a block to. It's the west, west end. the west end at um, a couple of blocks at Wembley as well. And then if some people want to move, they'll get the choice to do that because obviously there's more seats there. So I think they're doing that in the right way. They've looked, they, you know, they've looked at what's happened at West Ham. Um, which is almost a blueprint for how not to do a stadium move and how not to, to kind of you know keep your fans on side. They've looked at various other stadiums, uh, you know, Arsenal moving to, to the Emirates and you know what happened at Manchester City as well. Uh, and they are concerned about atmosphere because again, it's a horrible thing to say, but it's part of the product. You know, the atmosphere of, a, of, a, of a, an English football ground is, is the reason why TV pays such a lot of money uh, to cover the game, and they realise that it's, it's, it's good for business as well. So, that, you know, there, there's a hard-headed business reason for trying to generate some atmosphere as well as anything else. I think it's worth pointing out, though, that this is quite a, well, privileged position in a way, because we've got a trial run here. We're yeah. migrating our fans twice in two years. This is the holiday season, so this is for one year only. So if it's a real mess, it's for one year only. Not ideal. I don't think it will be, but if it is, it's not permanent. And then we'll learn more lessons before they move everyone back into the new stadium, which they have to get right. So I'm kind of a little bit more relaxed about next year. I think it'll be a good opportunity for people to, you know, move to sit with their mates if they want to, because they'll have that flexibility with 90,000 seats and to, to get stuck in. Wembley is a notoriously difficult place to generate an atmosphere, yeah. so that is going to be a massive challenge. And kind of with you on the flags, I think, but I think anything that's club organised, so club giving out flags every game, nah, not interested. It's not what we do as a fan base. If it's grassroots and it's fans who are making their own and want to take in a massive banner, then crack on. I think that's great. 
And again, it might be worth expanding a little bit because there's been some criticism of that, you know, is this this kind of happy, clappy thing, you know, the trust organising flags and no, the other. No, we're not. What we, we've actually argued with the club quite a lot of times and said that if, if, if stuff is laid on by you, it's done by you, it will be seen as plastic. And what we don't want at Spurs is what they've got at Chelsea and Arsenal, where they've got these club employees waving the big flags every time they score a goal. And, you know, that, that, that's, not, that's not what we do. And actually, I think that Spurs fans sink. I don't think we do TIFO displays and flags or whatever. Now, you know, things change and people can, can kind of do what they want. But we've always said, as Kat has just said, it, it's got to come from the fans. And so make it as easy as possible for fans to take flags and banners in if they want to do that and to generate some kind of atmosphere as well. But stuff that is over-organised, I think the nature of our crowd is that we don't have to be told what to do. We're a bit bloody-minded. And long may that continue as well so it, it's striking a little bit of a balance I think it's good that the club does try and do some of those things as well but yeah. we've sometimes had to rein them in a little bit and say that might be a bit much just let the friends do it themselves um, next question at all time now what are, what are the trust's thoughts on those individuals who own several season tickets and use them to A sell on individual match tickets in bulk and B help with ballots um, away applications etc we all know they exist and deprive newer fans um, the chance to build up their own loyalty points total and work towards a season ticket. What can is being done to stop this practice? You are now in for a rant. Really sorry. Go for it. So, personal bugbear of mine, throughout this season, because we've had, this has mainly been around away tickets, we've had a perfect storm. We've had the team playing the best they've played in decades, challenging for the title two years in a row. We've had the £30 price cap come in, which has made tickets more affordable. We, we've got more members than ever before. We're about to have loads more season ticket holders than ever before. So that whole supply-demand ratio is hugely squeezed on away tickets. So the points totals have gone up. Now, that's fine. I'll accept all that. And I will completely accept your listeners' point of view there. There are a small minority of season ticket holders who will quite frankly take the mickey. That's not exclusive to Tottenham Hotspur. That happens at every single club. There will be chances. But what I cannot stand is this growing narrative that all season ticket holders are greedy, points-hoarding bastards. I can't cope with it. It's simply not the case. As somebody who goes to nearly every game, I see the same faces at every single away game. I call our away support two degrees of separation. Because if I don't know them, Martin knows them, or my other friend knows them. That's why our away support is so tremendous. Because there's that unity, there's that understanding there. So first of all, I think it's about perspective. I don't think this is a widespread issue at all. I think the majority of season ticket holders own a season ticket because they want to buy a ticket to go and support the team. What is the point? There are plenty of other ways to make money, seriously. So I I dismiss the fact that that is a widespread issue because it simply isn't. The people who are breaking terms and conditions are dealt with. So if they are visibly reselling across social media or across forums, the club will pull them up. We deal with, well, numerous cases where season tickets have been terminated indefinitely. Stadium bans, so not just you can't have a season ticket, you can't go into the stadium, etc., etc. It does happen. So they have their own, you know, sanctions in place. They have their own way of dealing with this. But suspensions are issued and and terminations are issued. I haven't got a problem with that. If you're blatantly breaking the rules, you're taking a mickey. You're not helping helping the rest of us. 
but as a season ticket holder, vehemently defend the fact that we're going to the games. I posted something ahead of the West Ham game and got absolutely lambasted, mm. which was basically me and all the other season ticket holders who buy tickets to go to the game are off to the game. All right, yeah. I, it's, honestly, it drives me potty. Mm. Anything to add, Martin? Well, it's changed, isn't it? Because the, you know, season ticket holders used to be seen as the, as the kind of loyal supporters that were prepared to, you know, obviously able to, but you know, money wasn't as much of an issue in those days. Uh, ticket prices weren't as high, but they were prepared to put the money up front and they were committed to go. Mm. And I sort of think that cats like that. You know, we, we're not naive enough to think that nobody ever does that. But, you know, it's that old cliche about it good and bad in every group of people. And of course, there are some people that are, that are doing that. And I mean, there's been some pretty blatant examples, you know, ahead of this game this weekend of people putting up on social media fairly openly, you know, I'm accepting the highest bid for this ticket. Now, the club finds guess out what's about happened them, to them, they get taken out. No membership all, and yeah, no tickets. Yeah, and that's it. But, but, you know, most of the season ticket holders do go. You know, because they want to see the games, and they, you know, the people. It, yes, it is a close shop, but most fans. If you said to most fans, should the people who are the most loyal supporters get a better chance to go to the away games, they would say yeah. Now, by by definition, that means that the people that have been going regularly are going to get the tickets. And yeah, there's an argument. If you're not getting the ticket, and you say, well, it doesn't really seem fair that. You know, it's the same group of people, it's a bit of a close shot. There is a bit of churn, but you know, there's a lot of familiarity among the, the away support as well. The alternative to that is to just do a straight ballot for away tickets. And I think that even more fans would be pissed off with that mm. than with the situation at the moment. Because, and, you know, and that, that would be equally unfair. So whenever you do any discussion on tickets, you, what it comes down to is that what the individual wants is the situation that suits them the best as well. That's the fairest system. But you have to look at the bigger picture. Yeah, you do. But I'm about to contradict myself as well. Because personally, I think the way that a fan base grows and the way that a club grows is by being able to take your son, your dad, your sister, your mum, your mate, occasionally. That, that's, that's how it works. But that's I'll, you know, I'll put my hand up. If I've had a spare in years gone by and, and I've had a die-art Tottenham fan who hasn't got a ticket, I'll take them. Mm. Wouldn't do it now, obviously, clearly. That, that's, but that, that's how people traditionally have gone on to games. And again, it's the, you know, what, what the people want. That, that, you know, we could have a ticket which says, OK, we've got, it's a biometric scan. You know, yeah. It's Irish recognition. The only person who can use a ticket is that individual. And, and you know, if you, if you can't go, you have to give your ticket back to the club and it goes to the next person down the list. So that's goodbye to taking Uncle Tony or Auntie Jean or your son or uh, yeah. your daughter or whatever to a game. Football is a, so, is, a, is a social experience. Mm. And not that many people would want to go on their own with no mm. one of their mm. They did that, I'm pretty sure they did that with um, Gents, I think, where you would only get the five royalty points. Biometric if, testing. Yeah, mm. yeah, if you said <laughs> But they, they, uh, a bad thing altogether. Um, I don't know that, we disagreed that, with that, though. We yeah, about that as well, because that changed the whole basis of loyalty points, and the assumption was that fans were only buying tickets to, to get the points. But what happened in the wake of that is that loads of people said, well, I went, and I had my points added. What actually happened was Storm Doris, which meant that people who yeah. were genuinely going yeah. to that match yeah. from... Up north, especially, got stuck on trains yeah. and couldn't get there. Yeah, there are people that had tickets, you know, law fans that go over game from we've got seasons to get old in Carlisle. They couldn't physically get to the game because of the storm. They didn't get the points, the points, and they complained about it. And we said, quite right. My view on that, on, on the solving, is and, and yeah, I'm sure there are some some percentage. I don't know how big it is that that, that might be opportunistic and and, and hardly goes any games, um, but. Um, 
well, I've been a, I'm a bronze member, and I've been a beneficiary of people mm. selling on tickets, and mm. it's not not at extortion. I've never bought at an no. extortion price, but but I've bought not through StubHub, which is the, the legal way of mm. doing it, but through social media. Well, there is no resale facility for away tickets. StubHub only operates for home. home. Okay. Yeah. So what you strictly should do. Um, as somebody who's qualified for an away ticket is let the ticket office know you yeah. can't make it and they move down the list of the mm. next person in line with a requisite number of loyalty points mm. that's strictly what should happen but I know for example a, a friend of mine who's a season ticket holder he will he's very ethical about this he will only apply for games that he intends doing mm. that's his you know and yeah. occasionally he, he might say to me oh, look, if there's a game that I'm not going to do just let me know and I'll apply for it and whatever recently because he took such an mm. ethical approach I can't remember if it was West Ham or Palace one of these he missed out on like, Points and he was fuming because up until now he'd done what he considered to be the right thing, yet other that, people and I think the majority do what he does. I would never dream of applying for a game I wasn't going to. Yeah. So but, I didn't apply for Sunderland Southampton or at all because you're saying that if he had applied for more, yeah. he'd have got more points and he'd have qualified. I completely understand that, but most season ticket holders that I know who are not going to a game wouldn't bother applying. But then that's the other side of it is if you're talking about you know having a closed shop, uh, it, is, it is unfair. Um, there is, a, there is a certain amount of churn that goes on as well that people for whatever reason they might not be able to get to as many games or something happens and you know life changes or job changes or you lose your job or whatever uh, so it, it isn't exactly the same 3,000 people that go into every game and it is possible you know to build up loyalty points over, over time and that is by going to some of the cup games as well going to some of the least popular games or you know sort of slightly further distances as well where you build up some points uh, and he did go on there. And although we've said, you know, there's that two degrees of separation and it's a very familiar support, we also know people who a few years ago couldn't get tickets and because they've built their points up over time yeah. and they're able to get tickets over the last two years. So it is possible to break in, but, you know, the, the, I, think, I think the system is the fairest that it could be at the moment. I think they've all got flaws. I think there's, there's a, a rolling issue because they changed the loyalty point system a few years ago. And I, don't, I personally don't think the club did it in the right way because I think that they fundamentally changed the, the, the basis on which we were buying tickets as well without really giving us any compensation. But they did change that because it had absolutely become a complete closed shop. You just could not get tickets. And I think it was a Champions League season. It like was the that. Madrid game, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was the Madrid game where yeah. lots of people who hadn't been for a long time suddenly said, oh, well, we know, because I've built up points over 15 years, I might not have been for a couple of years, but I now want a ticket to go and see Spurs playing at Real Madrid. Uh, now, arguably... Why shouldn't they? Because they've been going for 15 years. So you, you can make an argument either stage. And you can argue argument about loyalty points as well. But I think, when did loyalty points come in? Early 90s? Yeah, they changed the system So I didn't get any loyalty points from 1978 to, to the early 90s. So again, you know, what about the people that were going in the 50s and 60s? And we've got people who go regularly to, to watch our team that were going in the 50s and 60s as well. I think the point so is, how do you measure yeah, loyalty? it is on a five-year cycle. So we at the Trust, we track all the cut-offs for, for away games um, over that period. This season, we were talking off-air, and you told me there'd been only two that had gone to members. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I've got it all written down, and we'll publish it maybe next week now that yeah, all yeah. stuff's out. But I've also got them from, forget last year, because that was another year of challenging for the title, but the year before that, and the year before that, yeah. and the year before that, and shitloads went to members. Yeah. Loads! And so season ticket holders, mm. like me, mm. I've got 638 loyalty points because mm. I built them up over that time. When we were poor, when the prices were 64 quid mm. to go to Arsenal, that's why I've got those points. I haven't mm. just magic them up over the last two seasons. So there is a case that, you know, it's not 
people like me who can go to every game it's not just because I started going actively over the last two years I've been consistently over the last five well, we had a classic I mean it's labouring the point a bit but it, it's a big it's a big source of debate isn't it that you know earlier this season we played Liverpool in a midweek game in the League Cup or whatever it's called now whichever Fizzy Pop sponsors it now or whatever it is EFL uh, yeah. Pools, you know, company. it was uh, just the yeah, EFL yeah. this year yeah uh, we, we, we actually didn't take up the full occasion that we could have taken up and everybody said oh well yeah no, but everyone knew that Pochettino was going to put a first team out and it's only the league cup and it's, well hold on a minute you either want to go and see the team or you don't want to go and see the team and actually there were points on offer for that game so that's a good one to build up as well and people tell me and say oh people only want to go and see the good games when we're successful but well, that's sort of how it works, isn't it? Of course, more people want to go and see you when you're successful. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always going to happen. You're never going to change that. Just on, not on the running order, um, I had a question earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, this is on Bronze Member. So, Craig McKissock from Glasgow Spurs Sports Club. Um, hey, like Glasgow Spurs. He, uh, he says, um, are there any plans to reintroduce um, one Hotspur members to getting tickets for away matches with... 295 plus loyalty points for Leicester and 385 for Hull. Only season ticket holders um, the ability to go. Um, he goes on to say season ticket holders have a priority for home tickets and now s- seemingly away tickets. Um, so wh- why should he pay for club membership? Right, so let's address the season tickets having priority for away tickets first. Season ticket holders will more than likely be paying over what a member will be paying for the same number of matches at Wembley next season. Tottenham haven't articulated the pricing and the proposition of their season ticket package. So they haven't come out with their match day pricing. So we can't say, yeah, a season ticket in the West End for 19 straight league games, so seven at Cat A, six at B, six at whatever, A, blah, blah, will total this. And so that that season ticket price is fair. Our gut feeling is that they're now charging season tickets and selling them as a premium product. So they're adding a bit on, basically. So match by match, your bronze member can go and see as many games as a season ticket holder for less money. Because they're basically saying it's like a debenture. You know, you have the right on that seat and blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of, it's not comparative, basically. Away priority is a benefit of a season ticket holder. It's written in to our terms and conditions. It, you know, we're the people who pay upwards of a grand, more or less, at the start of, each, well, end of each season, May, June time, every single year, we will fork out an awful lot of money. Season ticket revenue is the only bankable form of ticket and income that the club can put in as well. M- members and match day and gates don't, don't count. So when they're trying to fund their new stadium, it's the season ticket money that they're shoving in front of the banks, nothing to do with the members. So because we're making that commitment of money and time, and we're probably going to be charged a premium rate for doing that as a season ticket holder next year, I don't have a problem at all with season ticket holders getting priority for away tickets. I think it's a ludicrous argument for somebody who pays 50 quid for a bronze membership and can pick and choose the games they want to go to, to think they should get priority over somebody who makes the biggest time and the biggest financial commitment to that club every year. And I think it's important to point out as well, because often people say, oh, you, you know, everyone on the trust is a season ticket holder. Well, we've just got season ticket holders and members, and the members on the board agree with that as well, because they see that, you know, if they get to the stage when they can get off of the season ticket, they would want those benefits to catch that line as well. That is part of the benefit of getting a season ticket. Now, there is a separate argument, and we did have an argument with the club about this last year, about just take the membership package as well, and what you're paying for that, 
and especially because the priority window that he used to have as a moving went last season as well, we did say to the club, well, what is it exactly that people are paying for, and is that good value? I think that's a separate argument. That, well, that was a separate question. question to ask, isn't it? So he needs to look at the, the bronze membership breakdown that should have come through in his renewal email, and that will list all the benefits of being a bronze member. Mm. Last year was an exceptional season, and as Martin said, whilst we understood why they got rid of the priority bronze booking window, why they got rid of the multi-game packs, why they got rid of the guest window, it did erode all those benefits right down to the level of a lily white. And we didn't think they were justified in maintaining that price point for the bronze membership, and we damn well told them so, but they wouldn't move. They came up with this ridiculous argument that the £5 differential was for the place on the waiting list, which I'd certainly never heard articulated before. And it would be interesting, so, now they've said that effectively what you're doing is paying for a place on the waiting yes. list, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But next season, for the bronze, they will get their priority booking windows again, they will get their multi-game packs again, they will get their guest windows again. So a lot of those benefits have now been reinstated in terms of home ticketing. But in terms of away ticketing, I mean, we've had to ask the club if they would consider giving a percentage to members for away matches. And their, you know, their stock responses, we would not do anything that would erode the, you know, the, the benefits to season ticket holders in favour of members. They're, they're completely different schemes. So it's not something the club are considering doing. Okay. Um, we've got quite a few questions. I'm, I'm going to race through some of okay. these. Um, uh, there's an announcement the other week about pricing around Wembley um, and that's generated a whole load of questions John Shirley who's a season ticket holder I mean, he's a guy I was actually referring to earlier about the okay. points um, he's got a bit of hump with this I'm not going um, at these prices and I live 13 minutes on the train from Wembley my dad has had a season ticket for 23 years he won't be going either I don't know anyone who isn't pissed off. I think we need to just rewind slightly and outline the discussions that we had and our position on pricing because we need to contextualise yeah, I mean, There's going to be a, a, a bit of detail in here. I mean, it's interesting we were talking to people at an event last night and there, there is there is unhappiness uh, about uh, season ticket pricing. We're not particularly happy either. No. The full picture hasn't been revealed yet and there are still discussions going on. But what, what we did, we've been talking to them about the season's pricing for quite a long time, you know, well over a year. Um, we pushed our accessible pricing, trying to keep it as low as possible, arms and seats policy. We were led to believe for quite a long time that they were going to pursue a bums and seats policy. That was a phrase that was used by Daniel Levy in a meeting. We want bums and seats as well. So we thought that means it's going to be accessible. And we were led to believe that the pricing was going to be significantly lower than the pricing for season ticket holders that they announced last week. Especially when Brent Council signed off on the maximum And the big camp. thing was that you know, we're not, it's not about making money, it's about atmosphere, it's about getting people into the stadium, and that's why we want the 90,000 capacity for as many games as, as we choose to have as well. Um, we also, obviously we had to do a little bit of a kind of put your, your, sort of your, your, your sort of finger in the air, see which way the wind's blowing, but based on what we knew about current pricing, what were some informed assumptions about what they were going to have to do at Wembley and what money they needed to generate. We, we put forward um, a set of figures and we said this is what we are suggesting prices should be in all parts of the ground. Uh, we thought that was fair and we thought it took the commercial realities into advantage. You know, we didn't say that you know, they should all be a tenant because obviously clearly that would be ludicrous and it wouldn't happen. So we tried to do something that was, was sensible and would, would actually have a discussion as well. Uh, and it seemed for a while that our thinking was, was going in pretty much the same way. I and mean, then quite late on... Uh, quite? Yeah, quite very late on, 
we got uh, we got the information that this was going to be the pricing as well. So we kicked off about their original proposal. They were very very keen that they didn't get bad publicity and they didn't get criticised for the pricing as well. And they ended up delaying signing the contract with Wembley um, and delayed making the pricing announcement for three days. So over the last bank holiday weekend, from the Friday to the Monday, me and Kat basically spent a lot of time on the phone and on social media arguing with them uh, about this price package. Not well, what's um, that? Not that. Yeah, yeah, they wanted we it. We weren't on Twitter. They wanted us to endorse that price package and we said we're not, we're not going to endorse it because we don't think it's right. Um, that's where we managed to secure um, for people, stand, in, yeah, yeah. people in the current east stand at White Hart Lane. They were originally going to put their price up to address this issue of the differential between the, the east and west stands at White Hart Lane. And we said we're not having that. And what they've in the end up saying is, is that people who are currently sitting in there that choose to accept the seat that they're offered uh, from the east stand will pay the same for 19 games next year as they paid this season as well. So we got them to move on that, we got them to move on a few other price points as well. What they kept saying to us was that the aggregate ticket level has gone down by between 11 and 19%, depending on which way you decide to spin the figures. And we said to them, the average fan, to be blunt, doesn't give a shit about the aggregate, aggregate ticket income. The average fan gives a, t a shit about how much they're paying for their ticket, and they don't want to be paying more what they think they think is more as well. So. The club's kind of been quite clever in a way, and I think this is not to defend the club's pricing, but I think that when people eventually, and we know they're not out yet, we've been talking to the club about this today as well, get their renewal email, I think quite a lot of people will be surprised at the number that they see on there, because I think a lot of people haven't interpreted you know, what they're going to be paying in the way that it's actually going to be there as well. Most fans will be paying less in terms of the actual amount of money than they paid last season, partly because we're losing the two cup games as well. Every fan will yeah, be if right, they right. choose the equivalent yeah, seating. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, some fans will be paying the same, but most fans will be paying less. Just so, so the club's been quite clever there. So we can go and go, it's completely outrageous to put the prices because they haven't put the prices up. The prices aren't as competitive as we think that they could have been and as we think they should have been. And we were pretty clear that yeah. the thinking was aligned on that model. Before that they, it was a Tuesday morning, wasn't it? We were on yet another yeah. conference call and they seemed quite unaware that this was going to go down like a cup, cup of cold sick. Yeah, yeah. And we did try yeah. and tell them that this was mm. not going to be warmly received. Well, the uh, uh, fans will be very pleased with this. And we were like, okay, well, you know, that's a subjective yeah. point of view and yeah. we can assure you they won't be. Uh, we basically think they should have gone further. Yeah. Uh, uh, my personal opinion, they've done the bare minimum and that's disappointing. Um, so, so to answer your question, yeah. to Mr John, John Shirley, I, I, I hear what he's saying. I hear that he's disappointed at the pricing, but presumably, if he's had a season to give it 23 years, he is paying less or the same as he was. So it's not, it's not shot up in price. Mm. It seems a little bit strong, to be honest. Let's, let's see what he, see, what he thinks yeah. when he gets his renewal email through and he sees how much they're actually suggesting he pays. And he would have an option to move into a 660 quid seat anyway. I, I do understand, yeah. but... The team does need him. I, mean, mm. I don't want to go to Wembley. You mm. don't. The board doesn't. Mm. I'm sure the players don't. It's We're all in it together. It seems like a big thing to give up your season ticket as well. It does. You know, the mm. financial things. Yeah, but, but they, they haven't gone up. It's just that they haven't gone down as much as we think they could and should have done. Um, there's a question from Callum Bennett, but I think that sort of... That sort of um, 
some of the, some of the answers that were covered in, okay, in, in, in response. Um, Lorraine Burstorm, I can't, Hi, Lorraine. I can't afford to pay for a seat at the price. Uh, it's not working at present. Also, I have no plans to go to every match. Um, it's a nightmare journey. So does this mean I lose my place on the waiting list for a season ticket? And also, just to follow up from that, what if, for example, you're a season ticket holder or, or, or you're a bronze member that's offered a season ticket and you don't take up okay. what happens? So let's ask, answer Lorraine's question first. This is all still to be confirmed by the club. They haven't announced how they're going to handle the waiting list yet. So all we can do is reiterate what we are advising that they should do, which is adhere to their terms and conditions, which Lorraine, as a bronze member, who's presumably renewing or renewed in that window, will have signed up to, which is you can be offered a season ticket at any time, you retain the right to turn it down, and you keep your place on the waiting list. That is signed. That's terms and conditions of their, their sale of bronze memberships. So if they want to try and break from that, they've potentially got a legal case. Mm. So that is us pushing for that right. Mm. I personally don't think it's fair that somebody would have sat on a waiting list for a season ticket at Tottenham, Tottenham Hotspur in N17, and then be offered one of the 18,000 that have been brought up at Wembley. There may be legitimate reasons why Wembley is not good for them. They should not miss the chance of getting their season ticket in the new stadium. Now, next year, in the new stadium, if the same season ticket holder turns it down, I would fully expect the club to fill up all those season ticket places and they'll have to wait for someone to drop out. But not for the Wembley season. That's completely unfair. Now, the problem is with season ticket holders that we pushed very, very hard for, it's been called an amnesty, it's really a sabbatical, which would basically mean that for any season ticket holder who couldn't get to Wembley, they could pause their membership for a year, retain their season ticket status, but it would be paused. So for that year, they'd effectively be a non-member, they'd be on general sale only, they'd pick up no loyalty points, they wouldn't be applicable for a cup final, or they wouldn't be able to go to any away games, all that kind of thing. You'd have paused, you can't get there, that's, that's that. The club initially said that they would do that at any venue for the season away. And then once Wembley was made the favourite option, reversed on that position because it was in London. They didn't think it was that, you know, that difficult to get to. They'd given us what we wanted as fans, which was a London base and not Milton Keynes and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so this, the, 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 the problem, and I completely lost my train of thought now, the, the, the problem with that is that the club needed to know that enough season ticket holders would turn up at Wembley week in, week out. They need those gate receipts as well. There are too many people who just don't like Wembley. So there are too many people who wouldn't have gone because they don't like the stadium, not because they can't get there. So they felt by offering a blanket amnesty, it would give too many people a get-out clause. I personally don't think that many people would have activated it when they realised it meant no access to everything else that you would get as a season we, ticket we holder. We yeah. took a position that people should be offered the choice. I mean, we were saying at the start about, you know, all friends, I think the same thing. There were quite a significant, and I think it was a minority, but it was a significant minority of fans who said there's absolutely no way there should be a season ticket sabbatical. So if we're going to Wembley, everybody else should go, and that's it. Now, I think more fans disagreed with that, and we took the decision, and we were accountable for that, to say, actually, we're going to push for the amnesty. We think it's the right thing to do. I think the other interesting conversation that's going on at the moment is that people are looking at the, the, the bronze member offer and the potential, you know, if you turn on a ticket, you can stay on the waiting list. And the season ticket, you know, the lack of a season ticket sabbatical or amnesty is the same thing. And they're not the same thing because one is you've got your season ticket and you decide not to renew something you've already got. The other is not taking up the offer of something that you've been on the waiting list to be offered. 
Yeah, and in, in, in the interest of fairness, different things. I should just point out that the terms and conditions of a season ticket holder <coughs> are exactly as the club have now implemented. Mm. So in our terms and conditions that we sign up to every year as season ticket holders, we don't have the luxury of a break. Mm. If you don't renew your season ticket, yeah. by the end of the deadline, you've lost it all. Mm. You need to start again uh, right at the bottom of the membership list. So all they are doing at the moment, as far as we know, is adhering to their current T's and C's, which are bronze members have the right to turn it down, season ticket holders have to renew. And I do get why people have an issue with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, how long have we got? Five minutes? Ten minutes? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, okay. Um, right. Um, this is applicable to Wembley and, and, and possibly the new stadium. John Staples, given that opposing teams like to play Spurs, fan in the, in the, Spurs fans in the gods, St. James's Park being an obvious one, um, is there any reason that we cannot do the same at Wembley and moreover the new stadium? Perhaps give ourselves a better advantage um, through this sensible strategy. Drown out the away fans. Is there any reason why we can't do this? Yes, there is a reason why we can't do this. It's called a new Premier League rule that comes into place next season that at least one block of away fans have to be sighted at pitch side. So that is exactly to combat the issue going on at Newcastle and what would have gone on at Sunderland. Okay. So we, are, we will be obligated under Premier League rules to cite our visiting supporters pitch side. Although interestingly today I was having a conversation with a Newcastle fan uh, and Newcastle have refused... Um, they they say they don't want to relocate all their season ticket holders. Uh, the Premier League are pushing it. It's going to an independent panel. There'll be a vote on it. Interesting. Very, interesting. Very interesting. But there one, you go. one of the ways that they could implement that rule is, is by having a funnel. So you could have one fan away from yeah, the Yeah, it's extreme I think if you if you think so of how to see that in James's Park. Think of how Manchester City have implemented it. So we're spread over three tiers at City, but we're spread in, in said funnel basically, yeah. isn't it a block, isn't it? Yeah. It goes backwards. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're allowed to do that. But one section has to be pitch side. Um, right, we'll come actually, no, catering. Cater- catering at Wembley, um, but I suppose more over the new stadium. Catering at Wembley, correct me if I'm wrong, that's, that's done totally in-house. It's, it's yeah. just Wembley, right. Okay, so the, so catering at the, uh, at the um, new stadium, I know it's, a, it's a, a way off, but is there any insight you can provide into how that's going and will there be bagels? bagels? Will there be bagels? See, I always get a bit worried talking about catering because whenever we do, people say, oh, you lot to talk about is bagels and biscuits, you know. Well, we, <laughs> well. um, yes, we're having conversations with the uh, at the club. I mean, yeah, uh, the catering company is run by a company called Delaware North, so that, that's that's a, a Wembley thing and that, that, that's separate. Um, the club gets no split of Leading restaurants, no relation, uh, are, are our caterers. We've had one meeting with them. Um, about, Which we thought went really yeah, well, and then the And obviously, White Hart Lane, the current stadium, has got its drawbacks in terms of what what they can offer catering wise. They they are. I think we you know we've seen a lot of the plans for the new stadium, and it's it's the kind of the top end offer, you know, that's been most publicised. And obviously, the it, it's going to be a very different offer in terms of catering there as well. They're talking about this this long bar as well. Bits and pieces. I don't know how much has been decided. I don't think a lot of stuff has been nailed down yet. But what they're talking about is by trying is trying to offer. Uh, variety as well as quality in there. I think they're quite interested in uh, getting some of the local breweries and some of the local. I suppose there's a guy who makes cheese. There's a lot of cheese in his new stadium, isn't there? And there's a local cheese maker, local bakers as well, mm. and they want to try and get the local business and the local products in there as well. And that makes sense on on a number of levels as yeah. well as the kind of the big brands. I think they will have the big brands 
uh, you know, uh, in there as well. So you know, in this in the bars, you're going to have you deal with your kind of your big brewery, and then you can have you know Beavertown Brewery from Tottenham who sort of do a beer for the Antwerp Arms as well. There'll be kind of craft beers, you know, it's the big thing at the moment in there as well. So I, I think they're looking to try and give people choice and quality in the new stadium, and I think you know it will. That, that's one of the things that it, that that you let down a little bit within the. Uh, in the current White Hart Lane, uh, yeah, we'd love to see the bagels come back as well. And I, th- I think you know, as as with our conversation on tickets, we just want people to have choice, and we want some of the food to be affordable. You know, if you want to pay a lot of money and go for a slap up meal and watch a football match, then knock yourself out. I've got no problem with that at all. But it also has to be the people that just want to go in there and have an affordable pie and a pint and watch a game of football at an affordable price. There should be a way to cater for them as well. But David <laughs> Levy, interestingly, said uh, he wants there to be a regular dialogue between the catering company and the fan and I think he's got his market and his business head on there because obviously if the fans buy into it you say well we're giving you what you want this is really good they want to get people into the stadium they want to keep them there it's all it's all good for business as well so it's again one of those areas where you know there's, there's mutual advantage really I've got a real bugbear about bagels because I, I think and I, and I I go on about this to, to friends and they always oh no it's bagels again and and they, the, the, the common running theme is there isn't a place for bagels in football. But I'm pretty sure that... I can't... I can't I've ha- what? I found, He's told you that! I've found, no, I, I, I found no evidence of it, but I'm pretty sure that bagels are part of um, Tottenham's tradition. Of course. Yeah. But I've, I've never, I haven't found any... Anyway, well, it's another podcast because you get into the bagels or bibles argument as well. And it's, yeah, exactly. and it's the American thing and it's the European Jewish thing and it's just like there's a whole... Yeah, but maybe that's a special in future as well because we're going to be accused of talking about food too much now. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, up. I think we, we possibly might have mentioned this earlier, Kat. So that is, will that be replaced? I know the deal was coming to an end. I really hope so, mate. Um, so the contract expires at the end of this season. Yeah. Uh, but uh, without being too negative, I was here two years ago when I also expected them to ditch StubHub mm. and then they came back with a, a big offer and the club renewed. I think that the model well, has they changed. Didn't put the price cap on, and that was they again, didn't. That was well, they reduced the price cap from yeah. 200 to 150 and made the donation to the foundation and blah, blah, blah. blah CSR policy. Um, I think that the model has changed so much with Wembley, though, that I can't see it being an attractive offer for StubHub. Because bear in mind, StubHub make their money from the cuts, basically, mm. don't they? The club get, get no money from individual transactions. They just get a one-off fee for signing the deal. Yeah. I can't see it being in their best commercial interest, to be honest, with a stadium that size. So we're pushing for them to take it back in-house, for it to be face value only, for, and for it to, this is key for me, for it to trigger when an area sells out, not when the ground sells out. Because if you've offered no amnesty to your season ticket holders, you need to be able to mitigate that somehow. There needs to be a, a resale facility that can work for them. So if I'm sitting West level one and all of the West has sold out, that's a different experience to sitting in the top of level five. So somebody who wants to buy in that lower bowl, in the noisy bit, I don't see why you can't open that resale facility because I'm not cannibalizing my ticket sales from the club who may still be selling them in level five. It's, it's you know, so we're, there's an awful lot to work on on that. They need to make a decision before the season ticket renewal window shuts because that resale facility is key for me. And the, and the issue with StubHub at Spurs has been that, that you know, because the, the stadium always sells out, you know, StubHub are, are Everton Sunderland as well. And there are different sets of issues because those grounds don't sell out as regularly as well at Lane as well. So again, when Cap's talking about that the business model is different, uh, at Wembley, that, that's that's very much a consideration. So, mm. 
But I, I think the club's also aware. I mean, you know, they've got a lot of bad publicity over over the deal, and there is still an association with uh, dodgy ticketing practices that say to be on the right side of the law. Uh, that a lot of those companies like Starpub and Seatway for quite there's a lot of very bad publicity around them and I think the clubs are starting to say is it really worth having an association mm. so and again fingers crossed that's, that's putting pressure on um, very quick one this might fall outside of your remit but do you know if the club are planning on having um, the odd open training session to allow fans to watch the players um, uh, tra- um, and get opportunity to meet them that, that sort of thing um, is it something the trust, trust advocates from the perspective of bringing the players and the club places to the fans it's good PR after all I think um, I mean we tend to stay off of, of, of on field stuff for, for kind of what I think are fairly obvious reasons but um, if if that's something that fans want us to put forward I think that we could do I think yeah, it they comes on and off field as well sounds like a good idea the, the club will obviously look to monetise it as well um, what I would like to think is that the first conversations had with Maurizio and the players. Uh, and if they feel that having people watching in a training session mm-hmm. is not going to be conducive to them putting in the best performance, then uh, I would absolutely oppose it. Because yeah. I think that that's where the playing staff have got to come first as well. So fans might like it, but in that case, I think the team has to come first. If they're okay with it and it's something the club can make work, then yeah, we can put that idea forward mm-hmm. and let's see if we can make it work. I've done, I'm not going into details, but I've actually done a couple, couple of these and dealing with the club. Um, when you get um, when you get told that you're going to be at um, Hotspur away, um, that it's, it's a really big waiting game because they've got obviously liaise with Maurizio and find a slot, and obviously you know when we're doing really well with lots of fixtures and that sort of thing, it's yeah, yeah, really, really difficult. Um, okay, let's just wrap it up. So, um, the, the trust aims for next season, or is it just an ongoing? Yeah. I, it, uh... I don't think we can kid ourselves into thinking it's going to be a quiet one, Martin, to be honest. It's going going to be a difficult season. Uh, I don't doubt there'll be an awful lot of individual cases that will need our help. Um, You know, it's an alien stadium for us. It'll be a new experience for everyone. There'll probably be, you know, transport, teething issues and whatever else. No doubt if they're issuing new access cards, there'll be a load of problems with the barcodes on the first game. And, you know, all this kind of stuff that just day-to-day business as usual that we'll need to push through. Well, the first thing will be the individual applications because the club have said that if people have got a genuine reason why they, they really can't get to Wembley, they would be prepared to listen to individual cases as well. So, uh, you know, we would like them to publish something that was fairly transparent to say, mm-hmm. you know, what criteria they're going to use. I suspect yeah. they won't because that's the way, the way, not the way they usually operate. So, again... You know, they're a bit, and they're a bit worried about you know that being publicised because they said, "Oh, we could clog things up." And we said, "Well, if you think so many people are going to apply for it, maybe you should have offered it in the first place." Then, <laughs> so I suspect that one of our first jobs is going to be dealing with people who say, "Actually, I've got a really good reason why I can't get over there, and I don't think I should be kicked off yeah. the waiting list as well." But there, there's going to be loads of stuff like that. I, I think there'll I, be a lot yeah. of stuff around atmosphere as well, won't there? Yeah, I think the aim is just to get the season done as easily as possible mm. and get back in to the new lane on time but we've also got discussions about and that's going to be concluded fairly on pricing at the new stadium how they're going to migrate fans into the new stadium yeah. you know and there's also again you know we've we've had already had people working into us there are different opinions from different fans you know some people are saying the people that pay the most should get the first choice on seats other people say the people that got most loyalty points other people say that should, you know so there's all different sorts of ideas about how seats should be allocated in the new stadium as well I'm sure there's going to be as many people unhappy as are, as are happy. And again, we've got to try and go for a system that works and that is the fairest possible and that, that, that puts the fans first. Um, Sunday's going to be a historical, um, yeah. emotional day, um, I should say. Um, if there's anything, I know that, that um, uh, it 
members are getting um, key rings with blades of grass and, and, and whatnot. <laughs> but um, <laughs> if there's anything... Is it really the pitch day? Or were they just grass them anyway? Trigger's How do we That's know? What it is, so. it's, tr- it's Trigger's yeah. brain, George. Um, if there's something that you can take away... Okay, it's a bit of a loaded question. So first part of it, if there's something that you can take away from White Hart Lane, mm. um, something tangible, what mm. would it be and why? Second question... Um, what's your most cherished memory of the lane? And this could be a game, a goal, an occasion, a chance, something that's pointing to you. I know, I know you can't do this justice because you've been going to White Hart Lane for however many years. And but if there's something that comes straight into your mind, um, I would take there's a there's a little cupboard in the East Lower Concourse around about twenty six twenty seven block. Um, and it's a little plaque, and it's got the Arthur Wade, uh, Arthur Rowe, Arthur Rowe, Arthur Wade, the Arthur Rowe room on it. And I think that Arthur Rowe is one of the most, you know, underestimated and underappreciated parts of our history. So I would be nicking that plaque, and I think it's a sound engineer's room now or something. It's like really not glorious. So uh, yeah, sorry, not not Arthur Wade at Palace, but mm-hmm. Arthur Rowe at Tottenham. Yeah. The Arthur Waitstone. <laughs> Definitely don't want the Arthur Waitstone. Oh, and uh, memory. Memory, yeah. I'm going to cop out. I'm going to say, I'm going to keep the last memory as a lasting one. So I'll answer, one, yeah. answer that for you on Sunday at about 7.30 or whatever time it is. Uh, I, I might cheat slightly on it and, and because it's intangible and also the memory is also what, what I would take away and because it's intangible, I can't. But, uh, and it might sound a bit naff as well, but I just think the sound of that crowd when it's in full voice, like it was, you know, recently against, you know, Inter Milan, the Bale game, or, you know, Chelsea and Arsenal the last couple of seasons mm-hmm. as well. Um, when you're standing in the middle of that and you're part of that, and that, that is in, in absolute full voice and the roof is lifting off, that is special. There is nothing, nothing that, that, that can ever beat that as well. And that's going to be my lasting memory of that place. Uh, and that if I could take that away somewhere, how I absolutely tell you what, if I can take the Arthur Waite stand with me, I was rocking the other night. It was just, um, yeah. Um, okay, very quickly, if somebody wants to join the trust, how can they get involved? How can they join? Uh, you can visit our website at www.thstofficial.com. Uh, and if you go to the membership page, which is forward slash membership on there, all the details of how you join and what you get is on there. There's also a list of what we do, what we've achieved and regular news as well. Except do us a favour and don't go on today because we've had an absolute uh, nightmare with, yeah, our, with yeah. our site. Get it, yeah. <laughs> get it a minute if I was you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, finally, any, any, uh, anything else that you'd like to mention? Um, Antwerp yeah. Arms? What's happening? Yes. What's happening at Antwerp Arms? Thanks, Javid. Um, That's great. Yeah. So, um, we had our inaugural party, um, jointly hosted with the Antwerp Arms, last May. And we're doing it again this year. So, it's on Sunday the 28th of May. It's our end of season barbecue that the Annie's kindly hosting for us. They lay on all the food for free as a thank you to the Spurs fans who've gone in there, you know, drunk their bar dry and supported them throughout the season. Uh, we lay on um, a raffle. There's some cracking prizes in there, actually, at the moment. Uh, we've got Gary Mabbott coming down this time. Uh, we've got Paul Coit. He's doing a, a little kind of pitch-side, styly interview with Gary. Uh, we've got Tom Mitchell doing a live music set for us. We've got a DJ there as well. It's completely free. Starts at 12 and finishes when the pub shuts, basically. And there's a bank holiday the next day, so yeah. you can all have a hangover. It's all good. Um, it's on Eventbrite. 
So uh, if you look on the Trust Twitter feed, which is at THSD official, um, or just look on the Antwerp Arms website, you just need to register on Eventbrite. It's completely free. Excellent. Okay, that's all that's left for me to say is thank you, Kat. Welcome. Thank you, Martin. Thanks very much. Um, the next podcast will be recorded um, on Monday evening for British reasons because of the United Kingdom. I won't be coming back and rushing to record a podcast. Um, and as ever, the future's bright, the future's lily white. Good night. in the dirt. Now gather round and sing it out and we'll talk out over her.